Entrepreneur on Fire, episode 96. Welcome to EntrepreneurOnFire.com, where remarkable entrepreneurs share their inspiring story. Let their journey illuminate your path to success. And now, your host, John Dumas. Fire Nation, have you ever wanted to start a podcast but don't have the time, knowledge, or skills? Just record an MP3, send it to my team here at Entrepreneur on Fire, and we do the rest. It's really that simple. Visit podplatform.com, that's podplatform.com, to find out more. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Lee Lefevre of commoncraft.com. The best ideas, products, and services are worthless unless they can be explained in a way that makes people care. Common Craft founder Lee Lefevre's new book, The Art of Explanation, will show you the secrets to creating amazing explanations. Visit artofexplanation.com for more information. Okay, let's get started. I am simply thrilled to introduce my guest today, Shane Snow. Shane, are you prepared to ignite? Yes. All right. Shane is a New York City-based technology journalist and web entrepreneur. Originally from Idaho, he studied business at BYU-Idaho and journalism at Columbia University, lived in Hawaii, and built several web companies, including Contently.com. Given Fire Nation a little overview, Shane, but take a second, tell us a little bit about you personally, and then tell us what you have going on right now with your business. Um, cool. Well, yeah, uh, you know, like you said, I grew up in Idaho in a small town, uh, kind of in the southeast part of the state in the middle of nowhere. Um had a lot of fun growing up doing basically uh, dumb stuff, building tree houses and playing games, and there's there's not a whole lot there. Uh, but I was one of the few people that I knew that really got into technology, and I remember when some kid gave a presentation about the internet uh, at my school and middle school, and I was really fascinated, and so spent most of my growing up stringing uh, Ethernet cords between my house and my neighbor's house and uh, doing all sorts of things. And so I kind of grew up really wanting to to be and a technology entrepreneur. Uh, and then as I sort of grew up more and more, I got really into writing and I ended up writing for a newspaper uh, when I was in college. And uh, so sort of the course that my life took, I decided I really loved writing as sort of my passion and I really loved technology as, as the sort of the way I wanted to, uh, to the thing I wanted to write about, I guess. And, uh, and so that's sort of taken me to what I do now, which is uh, I write for a couple of magazines for Wired and Fast Company. And I also uh, co-founded a tech company that basically is like a match.com for journalists. So helping other journalists uh, connect to publishers and doing that through technology. I love it. And I just love how movies can sometimes just generalize an entire state and Napoleon Dynamite. That's all I think about when I think about Idaho. <laughs> yeah. Is that kind of the sim- similar scene you had growing up is what he was going through? It, uh, you know, the, the town I lived in was a little bigger than that, but it, you know, I think I laughed more than other people may have just at some of the details they got so well, like the kids doing the sign language song in the school was just <laughs> hysterical because that actually is a thing. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's pretty accurate. You know, you look out the window and you see sort of green for as far as you can see and th- there's like nothing there. Um, but, uh, did you have a llama? Yes or no? I didn't, but I had neighbors who had llamas. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Shane, I hate to move on, but we're going to have to. 
At Entrepreneur on Fire, we really love starting the show off with a little motivational quote to kind of get everybody excited for this content that you're going to share with us today. So what do you have to share with Fire Nation for your success quote? Uh, well, my success quote actually comes from my father, uh, and I'm not sure where he cribbed it from, but it's, don't just work harder, work smarter. I love that quote, and I like that it comes from family. That just makes it even more special, more unique to you. How do you actually apply that quote to your mentality or to your business? Yeah, well, you know, where I remember it coming from growing up is, so my my father's an engineer, uh, and he was always forcing us uh, brothers to help him, you know, with projects, building houses, doing roofs, fixing cars, those sorts of things. And uh, I remember him teaching me when we were trying to pry something up uh, with a hammer, and it was really difficult to pry up because it was really heavy. And he taught me how to use a lever. Basically, you get a pipe and you put it over the hammer so that you have a lot more leverage, and then you can pry it up with a lot less effort. Uh, and you know that was basically the concept of you know don't just push with all your might and work so hard to try and get the nail up or whatever it is, but use the tools at your disposal or come up with an, a smart solution to make it less effort for you. And so, I guess how that applies, you know, I I think that actually is the essence of what an entrepreneur is. You know, you start a business because you think there's a way to make an impact, whether that's, you know, for a cause or an industry you believe in, or whether that's just to make income in sort of a quicker and smarter way than if you were just working with your hands or you were just doing sort of the expected path that everyone sort of has uh, laid out. And so I think it applies, you know, not just to sort of my approach to my career, that I think that there's ways to uh, build a career that's smarter than just doing sort of the typical uh, traditional, you know, climbing the ladder slowly, slowly paying your dues. But if you're smart, you can, you know, jump rungs on that ladder. Uh, but also I think in, you know, running a business, uh, looking back or stepping back from time to time and saying, here's what we're doing. It's working, but how can we do this with less effort? How can we automate this more? And I think that's where, you know, my passion for technology comes in. The greatest companies, I think, are the ones that are able to figure out processes, figure out solutions to problems, make money with them, and then make robots and machines do that rather than having humans do that so that humans can then work on innovating the next uh, breakthrough. I love that insight. And now, Shane, Entrepreneur on Fire, it's about your journey, your journey as an entrepreneur. So we're going to move to the next topic, and that is failure, challenges, obstacles that we all need to overcome as entrepreneurs every single day. Take us back down to the ground level at some point in your journey and tell us the story of when you failed or when you just came up against this obstacle that you had to overcome and tell us the story about how you did overcome that obstacle. Um, yeah, you know, the one that comes to mind in the last couple of years is a pretty painful story. So, uh, you know, in my current business at Contently, we essentially are helping connect talent to uh, people who want to hire that talent. And one of the big things that we wanted to solve were was, uh, so as a journalist, if you're a freelancer, basically you're at the mercy of your clients. Uh, you do the work for them, uh, then you send an invoice at the end of the month, then they take 60 days to actually pay that invoice. Sometimes they you know, write you back after 60 days and say, hey, you forgot to put this you know, number or ID number on your invoice, and then it takes another couple months. And so you know, getting paid is really tough if you're sort of a solopreneur. Uh, which most journalists are becoming now, um, and so what we what we did in our business is we said, hey, if we're helping you 
broker these gigs with uh, with your clients, then we'll make sure you get paid immediately, and then we'll take up the billing with the client. Um, and what happened to us is we started having a lot of success with this, getting a lot of loyalty from writers. But the more clients we got and the more successful we became, the more of a cash float we were actually floating to writers because those clients were also wanting to pay us 45 days in arrears. Uh, and yet we were paying writers immediately you know, through our system. And so there came to this point when we were looking at our finances, uh, we'd raised some investment so that we could you know, build this technology, go in the red a little bit, but we were, you know, we were starting to make money. We were looking at our finances and the raw you know, number – uh, that we had for our runway said that we had a year left before we would run out of money, which is plenty of time to get profitable. But because of the cash flow that we were basically floating to the writers working through our system, we but we looked at it and realized we had two weeks left before we were actually out of cash. Um, so you know our I guess our balance sheet you know because of our receivables looked great, but our cash flow was awful. This was something we had not had not even occurred to us, and it's it's so stupid thinking about it now like so silly that we would have overlooked that but you know there's a million things going on uh and so we realized there's this horrible moment where we realized that this thing that we've been dreaming of doing you know changing the way uh journalists work and helping sort of with the future the evolution i guess of creative work uh we realized that we might not be able to achieve this dream simply because we had screwed up this accounting thing that none of us you know really had our our uh, minds wrapped around, and uh, and so that was really tough. And and I guess how we overcame it, um, we cut our salaries as founders. So we you know gave ourselves a little more, uh, not much, but a little more runway by you know stopping to pay ourselves. And we still paid our employees. Um, and then we immediately started uh, to get to work on fixing our billing system. And at the same time, we were trying to raise money from investors, and we're trying to juggle all those things at once. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, we were scrappy and we were able to save money and give us a little more runway, but we got lucky. Uh, we were able to close our round of funding before we ran out. Um, and then basically what we did is the lesson we learned is, uh, you can't become a bank. You know, we're, we're a technology company. We're trying to match talent. Uh, we're not a bank. So, you know, we can't basically float money like that. And so we, we basically built our in invoicing system from the ground up to build clients up front and it actually turned into a positive cash flow because uh, basically what happened is in a lot of cases, these companies are saying, we don't want to pay every month. We're fine with paying up front, but can we pay you six months up front so we don't have to deal with cutting a check every 30 days? And so that actually has uh, been a net positive to us um, and, and a great great lesson learned. I guess if you're starting a company, think about the bookkeeping and the accounting from day one, not from two weeks from when you're about to uh, go bust. That is such a great evolution that you just share with us because as an entrepreneur, you must have been so excited when you just found this pain because all writers, they just want to get paid. Then you just discovered that there was an issue with that, so you just flipped it on its head, and then all of a sudden you had this business where you're getting this huge amount of money up front from the people who are actually paying the writers, and then you were able to kind of dole the money out to the writers. Is that kind of how it worked? Yeah, exactly, and it hadn't occurred to us that that was even possible because, you know, these companies were already, you know, paying writers 45, 60 days later. And we assumed that was because they wanted to hang on to that money for interest reasons or something like that. What we realized is that actually it's just a pain for them to process on an individual uh, contractor basis payments like that. And because we're sort of bundling 
up, you know, you're working with 25 uh, writers as contractors, like Contently is the one contractor you end up paying if you work through us. And for that, they're more than happy to uh, pay up front, which, you know, just never occurred to us. And, and yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. That's just such a great evolution because by solving what you thought was one pain, you actually found another pain that was really the major issue behind everything. And then you just were able to create this very profitable business from that. So exactly, I definitely commend you on that, Shane. Thank you for Thank sharing you. that with our audience. And let's take that and move to the other end of the spectrum, which is an aha moment. This for you was an aha moment of sorts. And that's one of the beauties of being an entrepreneur is that we really have these little aha moments every day that are just shaping our business and inspiring us and making us pivot in different directions. Can you share with us another major aha moment that you've had in the evolution of Contently or just in your journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah, the big one for me is actually an aha that sort of happened in my life um, before Contently, but but certainly led up to it. Um, so like I said, I grew up in Idaho. Um, I was perfectly happy there. Um, although I did have a bit of an itch, you know, not being a lot of technology around, not being a lot of people interested in the things I was interested in. I, I learned later that there's these big places like San Francisco and New York where there are a lot of like-minded people. But, you know, there was a point when I was, uh, you know, I was in school and graduated and I just kind of felt like I had to get out of there. And so I took a risk and I, uh, packed some bags and ended up moving to Hawaii uh, just to see if I could do it. Figured what's the place that's furthest away from Idaho that I can get, where's somewhere warm. I was working on the internet, figured may as well work on the internet from a beach. So I moved to Hawaii and it was really scary. And uh, when I got there, I realized it's actually quite easy to survive in Hawaii, despite the rent being four times what it was in you know rural Idaho. And, uh, and when I got there, it was, I kind of you know wanted to think about what I wanted to do with my life. And what happened is I had this epiphany that sounds really obvious again, like most epiphanies, I think, or most things. Um, I didn't before that point have in mind that I could do whatever I wanted to with my life. Uh, there's all these, these expectations that, you know, get set for you growing up by, you know, people who are well-meaning, whether they're, you know, school counselors or family friends or whoever, you know, even having supportive parents, I kind of thought that my course in life would be live in Idaho the whole time, go to college, get a job, work my way up the ladder, you know, buy a house, eventually have a mortgage, settle down. Um, and I didn't realize that there are more, there are just simply more options than that out there, even if that's the life that, that you want. Um, and moving to Hawaii sort of opened up this thing for me where I realized I can, if I can move to Hawaii, I can move anywhere and I can be anything. Um, and, uh, and it, made me rethink, I guess, the expectations that I had had for myself and, you know, how easy it is to let other people's sort of either expectations or their, uh, realism, I guess, like, well, let's be realistic. You can't be a writer because writers don't make money. All of that sort of went out the window. Um, and so, you know, there, as I was sitting on a surfboard contemplating my life, I had this epiphany and that has sort of translated, I guess, into the approach that I've taken since then, um, you know, in, in my career and in my, my personal life, just that if there's something you want, it's worth taking the risk. And again, you know, with working smart rather than working hard, you can make anything you want happen. Um, and so when I thought about applying to, uh, to grad school, rather than just applying to local schools, like I had done before, I applied only to MIT, Harvard, and Columbia. 
because uh, I wanted to go to the best school I could get into if I could get into it. And I got into Columbia for journalism school, and that sort of kickstarted my career as a as a journalist. Um, and I would never have done that had I not taken that risk and moved to Hawaii and sort of had this epiphany. Um, and and I guess I certainly haven't made it. You could say I'm certainly you know moving to New York and starting a company isn't the end of the road. But I think no one can tell me what the end of the road is or what the safe road is anymore. And I, I think a lot of people can learn from that. Let's just sidetrack for a couple minutes here, Shane. Not too long, but I'm really just curious. Take us through the first couple months, your feet on the ground in Hawaii. What do you do? Uh, yeah, so got there and got a hotel in Waikiki, which is kind of the touristy area of Oahu. Um, and basically kind of freaked out for a couple days and you know <laughs> went to the beach it was fun but kind of was like what 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 am i doing um and basically went to craigslist and started looking at apartments and you know freaked out a little more about the prices of apartments but basically spent a week tromping around honolulu getting to know the city um and looking for places and and eventually found an apartment and I'd never done this thing. So, you know, in college and in Idaho, you do month to month leases. It costs 300 bucks a month. I'd never done this thing where you have to sign a year at a time and put down, you know, a huge deposit. So, all of that, you know, is uh, to me was really a new experience and really terrifying. And, and then moving to New York from Hawaii was not nearly as bad as it would have been uh, because I'd learned how the real world actually works in big cities. <laughs> um, but from there, you know, having no friends, uh, and, and not really knowing anyone, it kind of was just about uh, going places. And so, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm Mormon, and so I, I went to the Mormon church. You know, I grew up Mormon in Idaho, so I went to the Mormon church in Hawaii. I met some friends, some other people who are at universities and stuff, started meeting people through them, started going to, uh, you know, things, cultural events, you know, around town, like whether it's music stuff or uh, I started going to the beach and I met some surfers and eventually sort of cobbled together a group of friends who we would go uh, bodyboarding or surfing every morning, depending on how, how the waves were. Um, and it, I guess it's kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess it was sort of like networking, but it was more networking for friends than networking for uh, for business. And in, in a way, I guess that taught me what networking in a professional setting is like, and especially living here in New York where that's the name of the game. And, uh, you know, as a business owner, you have to be able to connect with people and, and find people when you're in unfamiliar territory. Uh, I think all of that ended up being good lessons learned, but it was, it was really, you know, you're on an Island, you know, nobody, you have to sort of start from scratch, find a place to stay, get food and shelter, and then find, uh, people to, to help you figure out, you know, the local customs and, and what there's to do around there. So it's, pretty awesome. And now at this point, are you writing remotely for a company? Uh, I was I was working with a friend who was an entrepreneur in Idaho, doing some writing for him. Uh, I was writing myself, and uh, I was basically supporting myself by doing graphic design uh, as a freelancer, essentially, for companies. I started working with Mint, if you've heard of them, uh, doing infographics for their uh, blog, um, and uh, yeah, it's basically just cobbling together freelance work that was essentially what I was doing in Idaho anyway, um, and kept those going. Hawaii is six hours behind you know, the east coast of uh, of the mainland U.S., and so I'd get phone calls all the time at three in the morning from people thinking that it's uh, it's nine a.m. and kind of dealt with that. 
Um, but that's, yeah, that's basically how I survived. So Shane, you brushed upon this very lightly. Have you had an I've made it moment? I was thinking about this the other day. I was actually talking about this with a friend of mine because, uh, so I'm 28, doesn't feel that old, but 30 seems like this age that I never thought I would even be remotely close to. So we were talking about what I wanted to do before I was 30. Um, and you know, I think that's a silly thing because, you know, life is not over at 30 by any means. And, and I decided I couldn't think of what could the thing be that I have accomplished before I'm 30 that means like, oh, I'm a success. And, and I think that's because success is such a fuzzy thing and it's so objective. I think, you know, success is being happy with what you're doing. Right. Um, and, and that's what it is for me at least. And so, you know, I guess I could say my I made it moment was when I realized that I could do what I loved and uh, and that I realized that I, I was going to pursue what I loved and that I could actually do it. So I guess coming to New York, getting into a great school, being able to, you know, start writing for Wired Magazine, that all was validation, I guess, for me. Um, but I can't say, uh, you know, I can't say where the end of the road is. I, I would say I've made it to my dream, which is doing what I love. Uh, and you know, working for myself and working with people who, that I choose rather than I'm just put with. And I think, I think that's awesome. What do you think of this quote? Success is a gradual realization of a worthy goal. Uh, I think that's great. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's fantastic. I mean, uh, the worthy goal, I think, is the key, right? You know, gradual realization of a goal, I don't know that that's success. But if it's a worthy goal, if it means something to you personally, I think that's exactly right. It's something from Earl Nightingale, who wrote and spoke a lot way back in the earlier part of the 20th century. So something that I've read, and it just kind of popped back into my mind as you were speaking, and I was trying to figure out exactly what it was, but I found it really quickly. So those are true words. I remember when I read it or when I heard it, I really resonated with it. It's been a while since I thought of it, so I definitely appreciate you sparking that memory in my mind. No problem. I'd be curious to hear what your success quote is, actually. You know, now that I'm looking at it, I think that this is probably it. <laughs> All right. So, Shane, you have a lot of interesting things going on right now in your current business. Can you share with Fire Nation one thing that's really exciting you right now? Um, yeah. So, when we started, we wanted to be a marketplace. We wanted to help people get work. We wanted to have an impact on the freelance economy and all that, and therefore, sort of the rest of the economy. Uh but we realized that there are a lot of things that freelancers and you know, particularly in this case, freelance journalists need help with. There are a lot of people who are fantastic writers, but terrible freelancers or fantastic writers, but terrible web designers or terrible accountants. Um, and, and you shouldn't have to be. And so the thing that's really exciting to me that we're, we're doing, we just released um, this uh, build your own portfolio tool for journalists. So, you know, in school, if you go to school for journalism, the whole time your teachers are saying, make a website so that you can market yourself, you know, get on Twitter, start building your personal brand. So we just released this really cool tool that helps you do that. Um, essentially, all you do is you type in places you've written for. So I would type in, you know, Mashable and Wired and uh, New Scientists. And our tool actually sucks in all of your work from around the web and finds your clips for you, finds pictures of them, uh, and then lets you drag and drop where you want to display them. It looks really cool. Uh, and what we're about to do with that is since we have uh, all of your work, we can then actually scan the web periodically and tell you when people are plagiarizing you. 
when they're you know quoting you but not linking back to you, or when they're quoting you and linking back to you. So this is helping journalists basically you know get their name out there, build a presence for themselves, but also get credit for their work. Uh, and I, I'm I'm really excited about that and some of the stuff that's that's coming up. And I, I think the larger thing for me uh, that sort of learned through that is uh, if you uh, you know if you're able to provide value for people. Uh, and get loyalty, then there are a lot of ways that you can turn that into a business. And so, you know, in our case, we're doing that through brokering work and getting publishers to pay us. But um, because we're genuinely trying to help people's lives become better, that's what's driving the growth and the network effects around our business. One thing that you are just obviously great at doing, Shane, is identifying the pain of your target market, knowing what they want. And then it's so obvious also from your past failure and aha moment, you're also great at adjusting when you get that feedback. Just like Eric Reese in The Lean Startup, when he's just talking about getting that minimally viable product out there as soon as possible, that's gonna absolutely help that pain that your customer, that your target audience is feeling but then start getting that feedback as quickly as you can and then adjusting your product, your service to that. What are some ways you've adjusted your service to some customer feedback that you've recently gotten? Oh, wow. There's been so many uh, like minor pivots or course corrections. Um, you know, One of the things that comes to mind recently is we have a lot of these publishers who are using Contently to find talent and to manage talent but they have a lot of other needs in order to be successful. Um, and so we've been hearing, you know, whether they're complaints or suggestions, uh, a lot of, from our customers, you know, for months, a lot of our roadmap is basically built off of what our customers are hacking our system to do. Um, so for example, uh, Facebook is a client of ours. They have uh, this Facebook story site, which is great that they're managing, uh, freelancers on. They actually, uh, wanted to, pipe their own illustrators, their own freelancers through Contently so they could manage the workflow essentially for their illustrators, not their writers, uh, but their illustrators through Contently. So they did that without telling us. And then we saw that, you know, these illustrators had been, you know, sort of hacked into the, the product. And then the other day we saw uh, a few users of ours had built portfolios, but instead of putting writing in, they'd put editorial cartoons. So like the, the cartoons you see on the New Yorker or, or whatever. And so we're seeing a lot of people sort of mold contently to their own use cases, and that drives our product roadmap. And so we've started building features to allow you to do those sorts of things. It reminds me of how, you know, on Twitter, the uh, app mentions and retweets, those sorts of things were basically people using Twitter to, uh, to connect to each other, and they weren't features that Twitter built in, and eventually Twitter started supporting them with official buttons. And so that's... Uh, you know, that's an example of, of what we've done recently. And, and I would say for the most part, our whole company has been built off of uh, seeing how people are trying to get value out of, out of us, you know, in any way possible and then building that into our system. Has Mark Zuckerberg called you? Uh, he has not. <laughs> so I did see him. We were on Facebook campus talking to some folks there and we saw him through a window uh, playing games on his phone or something. He was, he was doing something on his phone. So uh, I don't think he's on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so Shane, I'm just loving this conversation. It's so targeted and so actionable and so valuable to Fire Nation. Really, really appreciate this content you're giving us. 
And we're now moving into my favorite part of the show, which is the lightning round. And this is where I get to ask you a series of questions, and you come back at us, Fire Nation, with amazing and mind-blowing answers. Does that sound like a plan? It sounds like a lot of pressure, but I'm ready. <laughs> what was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur? Uh, I think the only thing holding me back was, uh, you know, expectations that I needed stability. Uh, at this point, nothing it holds me back. But in the beginning, I think what was holding me back is the fear that if I didn't have a fallback plan, the world would be over. And I think that's absolutely not true, especially here in America. You know, I was really blessed with you know, a family that would support me and, you know, with good opportunities and education, there's literally no worst case scenario that I couldn't fall back from. And, and, uh, and so that's what was holding me back, but I think that shouldn't hold anyone who's listening back. Um, the worst case scenario is you start over, you get a job. Uh, the best case scenario is you end up building something, doing what you love. Such great insight. What's the best business advice you ever received? The best advice I ever received was, uh, when you start a business partnership, partner with people you trust with everything. Uh, you know, I've been very fortunate in this business to my business partners are people I've known for years. Joe, I've known since I was 15 years old, uh, probably even 14. Dave, uh, my other partner, I knew and worked with for several years before on various projects before we started. I think the trust factor is so important, uh, and I've seen businesses and startups with great ideas and very talented people who didn't understand each other's neuroses and didn't trust each other's judgment fall apart simply because of that trust not being there. What's something that's working for you or your business right now? Uh, you know, this is a little silly, but we do company field trips once a month and we have a company book club. Uh, we, we've been trying to build a culture here that is, uh, you know, educated, but also fun and not too serious. And uh, so we go on field trips to, you know, science exhibits. We, uh, we went on a field trip the other day to a bookstore. We gave everyone 20 bucks and said, buy as many uh, used books as you can. And we filled up a bookshelf in the office. I think those kinds of things um, work for us because they help bring the team together. And, and honestly, a lot of our team hangs out on the weekends with each other. And that's really awesome to see. And I think it's because we, we foster this environment. That's awesome stuff. Do you have an internet resource like an Evernote that you're just in love with right now that you can share with Fire Nation? Yeah, uh, I love this site. It's called corkboard.me. Um, it's basically what it sounds like. It's like a digital corkboard. You can lock it so no one can see it or you can share it with people. Uh, and it has this little mini map feature. And someone once said it's like StarCraft for notes, uh, which is awesome because I like both StarCraft and sticky notes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, corkboard.me. Awesome. I will link that up in the show notes. What business book would you recommend to Fire Nation? Uh, Fire Nation has probably already read this book, but I love the four-hour work week. I read that when I first moved to Hawaii, and that was part of sort of the expansion of my mind. Uh, but I love his approach to you know rethinking the expected and figuring out how you can go from point A to point B in as quick of amount of time as possible, even if it's a path that, uh, that is not the usual one. It's a book I can never read enough. So, Shane, this is the last question, but it's definitely my favorite and tricky. So take your time, digest it, then come back at us with an answer. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a new world, identical to Earth, but you knew nobody. You still have all the experience and knowledge that you currently have, your food and shelter is taken care of, but all you have is a laptop and $500. 
What would you do in the next seven days? So this is actually a great situation, right? I don't have to worry about how I'm going to survive. Uh, I have 500 bucks to, to start something uh, and I have a laptop. Um, I think the first thing I would do, uh, knowing people and having a network, I think is priority one. So the first thing I'd do is I'd go to meetup.com and whatever city I was in, uh, I would look up all of the meetups that I could possibly be interested in, sign up for all of them and start going to them. So I would try and squeeze in you know, 10, 15 meetups in the next seven days, try to go to two a night. Um, I'd also start uh, following a lot of people who I think are going to be influential or who I find on in the meetup groups, uh, start following them on social media. Uh, so I can start listening to them and start interacting with them. And then I guess because I'm a journalist and journalism and writing has been how I've built my personal reputation and, and eventually, you know, the business that I'm doing, I would start trying to get to know editors at publications um, through social media or through emails. I would probably start uh, trying to pitch stories so that I could get out the gate uh, starting to write, you know, how I've built my, you know, my Twitter following is, you know, it's only a few thousand, but that's all from stories I've written. And so people connect with me because they see the work that I've done and the writing I've done. And it's very easy, I think, to get going if you are able to connect and if you're able to pitch good stories. So that would be my seven-day plan. Um, start networking, start getting to know a lot of people, start getting plugged into the scene, start doing some writing, and through that, getting to know, uh, you know, honestly, I was writing stories about entrepreneurs in the city that I'm in. Uh, so I could start getting to know them through, through reporting and, and get my handle uh, around the, the tech scene. And I think that would set up a good basis for me being able to use that $500 to start a company. Absolutely. That is such actionable advice, Shane. And something that's so underutilized is the meetup.com. Even if you're in a city that you do know people, it's so important to surround yourself with like-minded people and people that have that same get up and go and energy and entrepreneurial attitude that you have. So people really need to take more advantage of the things that are around them. I think that's awesome advice. And you've given some incredible advice this entire interview. We're all better for it. Give Fire Nation one parting piece of guidance, then give yourself a plug, and then we'll say goodbye. <laughs> um, my parting piece of guidance would be if you're thinking about uh, becoming an entrepreneur but haven't taken the plunge, I'd give you uh, two options I think you have in front of you. One is join a small company so that you can see how a startup works, so you can get comfortable with the process and get uh less scared of the risk involved and see how awesome it is or to dive into it. Uh, don't just talk about being an entrepreneur, go for it and, uh, and actually do it. And I guess for the plug, um, contently.com is, uh, is our site. If you're a writer or an aspiring writer, uh, come sign up. It's free, get a portfolio. And if you're a publisher or if you're looking to hire writers, uh, come sign up and, uh, or send me an email to shane at contently.com. Awesome, Shane. You have just given us so much generous time and insight. We really appreciate you taking the time with Fire Nation today. Everything you've talked about is going to be linked up on our show notes, entrepreneuronfire.com slash 94. Thank you once again, Fire Nation. We salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks so much, John. It's been my pleasure. Fire Nation, do you have a product or service that you would like to share with the 100,000 plus unique downloads Entrepreneur on Fire generates every month consisting of passionate entrepreneurs? Chris Brogan sponsored an episode for his book, 
the impact equation with great results. If you would like to have 15 seconds at the top of our show to share your product or message, go to sponsoreofire.com to find out more. Thank you for joining us at entrepreneuronfire.com, your daily dose of inspiration. Prepare to ignite.